Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and as I promised you guys last week, I have got a special Scout on the Enemy Michigan Wolverines edition episode for you guys today. You longtime listeners, you know that our Scout on the Enemy series is usually reserved for the summer months and the lead up to the college football season. It's kind of our way to just familiarize all of you with each opponent, at least each Power 5 opponent on the upcoming schedule. This is certainly not something that we do during the regular season, not usually. Obviously, we do preview episodes for each game, but while there's there's certainly an element of familiarizing you with our opponent in those preview episodes, those are really more focused on like the matchups, the keys to the game, that type of thing. I guess you could say they're, they're in the same family, the scouting enemy episodes and our preview episodes. They're certainly in the same family, but just like two brothers aren't the same, there are definitely some differences in those episodes. And obviously, we're going to do an official Orange Bowl preview episode next week as we get closer to that game. But in the two weeks since this matchup against Michigan was announced, I've had a number of you guys out there reach out and say, man, tell me about Michigan. I just don't know much about them. Actually, one of my best friends texted me right after the matchup was announced. The first thing he said was like, hey man, pumped we're in, but I know nothing about Michigan. I think a lot of Georgia fans are probably in the same boat. Because it makes sense. We are an SEC country, and that's kind of where our focus always is. I mean, just think about the picks episodes that we do each and every week during the regular season that Charlie and I do. We we dabble in the national games, those big spotlight games, the national scene, but we make sure we are picking all the SEC games first and foremost because we know where our bread is buttered. We are in the SEC. This is SEC country, and that's where most of the interest lies. I think the average Georgia fan might, you know, during the regular season might have caught a few minutes of a Michigan game here or there. You might be at a bar on a Saturday watching some games and Michigan's up there and you watch a little bit of them here and there. And they know Michigan's had a really good season and they know that Aiden Hutchinson's a beast. I mean, this guy made it to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, but probably not a ton beyond that. I don't think your average Georgia fan really knows much beyond that. And that's okay. Again, it makes sense because that's not where our focus down here in the Southland. That's not generally speaking where our focus is. So with that in mind, I thought it would be worthwhile to get on here and do what I love to do, which is 
take a deep dive into our, our opponents and get you guys up to speed with this Michigan Wolverine team. There's not going to be much matchup talk here. I want to make sure you guys know exactly what this episode is. I'm not going to talk much about matchups. I'm not going to talk much about game plans on this episode. That's just not what this episode is. Think back to, to the summer months, guys. Think back to the scouting the enemy stuff where I'm kind of just going through the offense, the defense, the personnel, giving, giving an idea of what they like to do, but we're not diving deep in like game plans and matchups, that kind of thing. That will come it's just not on this episode. That's going to come on the official preview episode that Curtis and I are going to do next week. This particular episode is going to be focused on Michigan, their personnel, their philosophies, their strengths, their weaknesses, all that stuff. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun doing that, going through all this. But first, I do want to remind you guys out there, we've got a couple of days left. You still got a couple of days before Christmas to do last minute shopping. And there's no better place to do that last minute shopping for the Georgia fans in your life than Alumni Hall. They've got the best selection of Georgia gear and accessories anywhere out there. And guys, I truly mean that. I, I live here in Athens, so I spend a lot of time inside Alumni Hall. It's kind of an addiction of mine. And there's just there's nowhere better. I mean, I, I've been to all the places, guys. I really have been to all the places downtown. I mean, heck, the bookstore. I mean, literally, Alumni Hall has stuff the UGA bookstore does not have. So there really is no better place to do all your shopping for the Georgia fans in your life. If you happen to be in the Athens area, you can stop in in-store. It's inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens. Or if you're not local, that's no problem. You can do all your shopping online at alumnihall.com. They have a, a great interface, quick, easy process. And you can get ex expedited shipping, so you can make sure it arrives in time for Christmas. So put a smile on everyone's face this Christmas and make sure to do your shopping at Alumni Hall. I also remind you guys, the next time you make a trip to Athens, make sure you book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage. It will be your home away from home while you are in the Classic City for whatever you might be here for. There's a ton of reasons why you might come to Athens. Obviously, we just had graduation this past weekend. You might be just making a trip up to see your kids, family, friends, might be coming for a concert, uh, a basketball game. If you are so brave as to be willing to take in one of those basketball games right now, you might be coming for a tennis match, which is going to be starting here in a couple of weeks. So a lot of reasons to come to the Classic City. And I'm telling you guys, make your stay the perfect stay by booking the Normal Town Cottage today. You can find them on Airbnb. I think the easiest way to do it, the most effective way to do it, is just go to Instagram, Find their account on Instagram. Just type in Normal Town Cottage, and they got all the links there right there for you. We also have a link to their Airbnb page on our Twitter profile. It's pinned up there at the top, so you can check it out there. But take my word for it. Do yourself a favor. Book your next day in Athens with the Normal Town Cottage. All right, guys. The Michigan Wolverines. Jim Harbaugh has been on the hot seat for what seems like just about his entire tenure at Michigan. But here he is leading his team to their very first college football playoff appearance. And I'm pumped for this one, guys. I don't know about you. I know a lot of you are still kind of licking your wounds from the SEC Championship game. I understand that. I get that. I did that for a couple of days, but I had to move on. And I am like laser focused, locked in on this game against Michigan in the Orange Bowl. And here's what I've been busy doing in the two weeks since the SEC Championship game. I've gone back. And I've watched every single game 
that Michigan has played this season and watch those games with a fine tooth comb. When I say watch the games, guys, I'm not talking about like I just turn it on and sit there and just let it play. No, I'm talking about like basically trying to watch it as though I'm a coach. Obviously, I'm not a coach anymore. Don't do that anymore. And it's not the all 22 I'm watching. It's, it's the TV copy. So it's certainly a little bit different. But I'm pausing. I'm rewinding. I'm watching plays over and over and over again, four, five, six times to make sure I really get a feel for what this Michigan team does and what they're good at, what they're not good at. I'll rewind and watch the same play sometimes like 11 different times just to get a feel for what every player's doing on that given play. And I, I watched them a fair amount during the regular season. Again, like this is SEC country, so I'm obviously more focused on the opponents that we're going to play on our schedule. So I'm focused on the SEC like a lot of you guys out there. But I also love college football. You guys know how I do it. I, I DVR everything. And so the games that I did not get to, to watch live on Saturday, I, I spend the rest of the week going back and rewatching those games. I try to like all weekend long. I'm like on a social media blackout. That's why, you know, I know I'm, I'm very bad about like on Saturdays during game days, responding to people on social media. And I, I apologize for that. I promise you, I'm not ignoring you. I just don't want to get like spoilers. I want to be able to watch the game as much as I can. So I'll spend all day Sunday just watching games I didn't see. That'll even go into Monday a little bit. Sometimes they're spoilers, but I've done pretty good at kind of avoiding those. So I've seen Michigan play quite a bit during the regular season. I've watched them probably about four or five times in the middle of the season. I watched them. The first game I watched was, I think, back was it week two against Washington. I watched the Nebraska game. I watched the Michigan State game while we were in Jacksonville. Uh, obviously, the Ohio State game. I also watched the Penn State game. So was that four or five games there I watched in the regular season? But that's not a deep dive. Like when you're watching in the season, I'm not doing a deep dive. I'm not rewinding like that as I'm watching games like in the middle of the season. I had no idea that we were going to be playing Michigan. Now, I knew that became more and more of a possibility as the season progressed, but it still wasn't a deep dive. The deep dive commenced at about 2 p.m. on December 5th, a couple hours after the matchup was announced. And like to me, that's, for me at least, that's the best way to get over the SEC championship loss. That one sucked. It hurt. It still hurts when you think about it. But I just I dove headfirst into the next game, and that's really kind of helped me get over that Bama thing. And I'm focused on this one, guys. And I have been for about the last week and a half or so at the very least. I'm done with Bama for now. I'm all in on Michigan. Hopefully, we'll put ourselves in a position to be able to focus on Bama again. Right now, I don't want to talk about Bama. I know there's still a lot of talk out there. Okay, if we, if we play Bama again, the rematch, how's it going to go? I don't want to hear anything like that. I don't want any of that right now. There will be time for that if we get there, but we got to get there first. And right now, staying in our way for making that happen is the Michigan Wolverines. And they are a very, very good football team. This is not one of those teams, like let's say Notre Dame a couple years ago, and not so much Notre Dame last year, but the, well, I guess their first appearance in college football playoff, where it's kind of like, you know, they, you don't want to say they're fraudulent. They had a good season. They won some games, won a lot of games. But you know they don't really have a chance to win a game once they get into the playoffs, right? They're not one of those teams. This Michigan team is really good, and they are absolutely capable of beating us. They're, at, they're honestly capable of winning this entire thing. I truly believe that they are a very good team. They can do some damage in the college football playoff. And my big picture takeaway from this deep dive that I've gone into over the past couple of weeks with this Michigan football team is that while the Wolverines might not be an exact carbon copy of our team, they're pretty damn close. They are extraordinarily similar philosophically, 
personnel-wise, in their strengths, in their weaknesses, all of that stuff. It's actually pretty remarkable. It's weird just how similar we are with this Michigan team. And here are some numbers to illustrate that. Now, numbers don't tell you the entire story, but they can certainly paint the picture to a degree. So here's some numbers to, to further illustrate that. So let's go total offense here. So Georgia, we're 26 nationally in total offense, averaging 443 yards per game. Michigan, a little bit better, but not much. 17th nationally, 451 yards game. So we're within eight yards of each other in what we average uh, per game total offense-wise. Yards per play. Uh, we're actually better in yards per play. We just don't run as many plays as Michigan does. They'll go a little bit more tempo than we do at times. They, do, they don't do it as a rule, but they'll do it at times. Uh, we are fifth nationally in yards per play, 6.94 yards per play. That's, that is, that's not even borderline elite. That's elite offensive efficiency. I know people don't want to think our offense is elite anyway, but like statistically, 6.94 yards per play, that, that's, a, that's an elite offensive efficiency metric there. Michigan, they're also really good. 21st national yards per play, 6.48. So we're about a half yard per play better than Michigan, which is, that, that's there's a little bit of a gap there, but it's not incredibly sizable. Scoring offense, very similar. We're seventh nationally with 39.4 points per game. Michigan's 13th with 37.7 points per game. Rush offense, they run the ball a little, well, they run for more yards per game, but our efficiency met metrics are about the same uh, in terms of how many yards we're rushing for per carry. We're 29th nationally in rushing offense, 195 yards a game. They're 9th, 223 yards a game. Uh, but again, go back to yards per rush. We are averaging 5.31 yards per rush. They're averaging 5.28. We're both inside the top 15 there. Passing offense, remarkably similar. Uh, we are 53rd nationally with 248 yards per game through the air. They're 67th with 228 yards per game through the air. We've thrown the ball 350 times. They've thrown it 359 times. Yards per pass attempt. We are 9th nationally, 9.2 yards per attempt. Michigan's 31st, 8.3 yards per attempt. So we, we are biting off more chunks in the pass game than Michigan. But again, we throw the ball about the same number of times uh, as Michigan does. Our run pass splits are very similar. We run the ball 57.8% of the time. Michigan runs a little bit more, but not much more. 60.4% of the time Michigan's running the football on offense. Uh, their rushing yards as a percentage of overall offensive production. Michigan uh, has 49% of their offensive production comes from the rushing yards. We are a little bit beneath that. 44% of our offensive production comes from rushing yards. If you look at explosive plays, also very similar here. We have 70 plays of 20 or more yards. Michigan has 66 plays of 20 or more yards. We have 33 plays of 30 or more yards offensively. They have 31 plays of 30 or more yards offensively. Then you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball and you see a lot of similarities. Again, total defense. We know how good this Georgia defense is. Second nationally in total defense, averaging 253.2 yards per game allowed. Michigan, not quite as good, but borderline top 10. They're number 11 nationally giving up 316.2 yards per game. Yards per play allowed, we are first nationally, giving up 4.01 yards per play. That is an elite number. Michigan also top 10, though, giving up 4.71 yards per play. They're coming at number nine. Scoring defense, obviously, we're still number one, even with Bama putting up 40-plus on us. Still only giving up 9.5 points per game. Michigan's top five. They're fourth nationally in scoring defense, giving up 16.1 points per game. Rush defense, uh, we're better here. Um, and if you want, and we'll get into this more as we break down the Michigan defense, which give the numbers here. We are third nationally, giving up 81.69 yards on the ground each game. Uh, third nationally also in yards per rush allowed, only giving up 2.61 yards per rush. Michigan's 20th, giving up 121.5 yards um, 
per game on the ground and 3.52 yards per rush. Pass defense, pretty similar here. We're better, um, but it's there's not a wide gap there. We're going to have 171.5 yards per game. Michigan's going to have 194.7 uh, yards per pass attempt. We're both in the top five there. We're going to have 5.4 yards per attempt. They're going to have six. We both have forced exactly 16 turnovers. So you can see statistically on both sides of the ball, there are some remarkable similarities between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Michigan Wolverines. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But the similarities go beyond just the numbers. Again, the numbers can paint the picture. They can tell you a a certain part of the story. They're not going to tell you the entire story. That's why I dove headfirst into watching the tape. Numbers, you you can look at and they can tell you something. But I really want to see game by game how these players perform, how their defense is built, how their offense is built, what they want to do philosophically, how they're going about winning games, all those kind of things. And you can only get that from actually putting your eyes on the game. So that's what I've endeavored to do over the past two weeks or so. And that takes us into the breakdown of their offense and defense. Let's go there and let's talk about some more similarities between Georgia and Michigan here. And let's start with the offense. Let's break down this Michigan offense. One of the big similarities, probably the biggest similarity between the two offenses is that everything is built around the run game. It starts and it ends with the run game. Now, I would argue that Michigan is better running the football than we are. They run the ball more than we do. As I said earlier, they run the ball a little more than 60% of the time. We run it about 58% of the time. So not much of a gap there at all. Very, very similar. We both want to establish the run. But Michigan, I think, is better running the ball than we are. And I know this is going to sound blasphemous to a lot of you out there. And I know you're going to like shake your head at me and probably be mad at me because I'm a Georgia guy. It's a Georgia podcast. are supposed to just like say Georgia's the best at everything, I guess. But I try to be as objective as I possibly can. Look, I know I see things through red and black colored glasses. I understand that. I am a Georgia guy at heart, but I also try to be objective here. And being objective, watching Michigan as much as I have over the past two weeks, and obviously watching everything we've played this year many, many times, I think Michigan's backs are better than ours. Now, we have more guys, okay? I will say that we have better depth. We have more quality depth there. But their top two guys, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, I think they're better than our top two guys. Now, I do think James Cook might be the best of all of those. I take their top two guys, Haskins and Corman, take our top two guys, Zeus and Cook. 
I think Coop might be the best of all of them, but I think Hassan Haskins is just, I, I hate to say because I love him. I think Haskins is better than Zeus, all right? I mean, I don't think it's really close, to be honest. I, I just think he's a better back. I think he has better balance. He's got better vision. He runs very hard like Zeus does. Zeus has that ability to run hard. We know that. And Zeus has done some really good things for us. I don't want to be like I'm just sitting here beating on Zeus. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to tell you guys what I really think here. And and what I would say about Haskins, like comparing him and Zeus, Haskins gives you everything Zeus gives you in terms of his power, but he's a little bit more explosive. I think he has better vision. I think he moves better in the hole. I think he's a more fluid athlete than Zeus is. I, I really like Hassan Haskins. I think he has an NFL future. And Corum is a, a really interesting player as well. I would take James Cook again. I would take James Cook over any of those guys with the way he's been playing the second half of this season. But Corum is kind of like their James Cook in a way. Now, he's not a carbon copy of James. It's just, it's just kind of the way that they use him. And, it, and there is here's another similarity. Their two lead backs really complement each other well. Like Hassan Haskins is kind of their Zeus. I think a better version of Zeus, but like he's their Zeus, right? They're, they're power back, they're grinder. The guy's going to go there and just grind out the tough yards and keep the chains moving. Now, he can also hit some explosive plays as well. He's done that throughout the year, but that's not necessarily like his primary role. Corum is the big playmaker that they have running back. The guy that's versatile, they will line him up in the slot, they'll line him up in the backfield and have him go in motion and throw the ball to him. They use him a lot in the passing game out of the backfield. And I do think they use Haskins in the passing game more than we use Zeus, but that's more of a changeup. That's not really what he does by trade. Corum, they really want to get him involved in the passing game. The other guy that at running back that they really like to get involved in the passing game is Donovan Edwards. I'm sure a lot of you, if you follow recruiting closely like, like I do, you know that name. We were very close to pulling him from the state of Michigan. Very, very close. He decided to stay home. He was in the, in the 2021 class. He's a true freshman this year. And he's actually, if I remember correctly, let me double check this. Yeah, he is their leading receiver out of the backfield. He's got 216 yards receiving on the year. Now, Corm actually has more receptions. He's got 22. But Edwards does not play near as much as Blake Corm does. He, he, I, I mean, Edwards only has 31 carries on the year, only 158 yards rushing but he's got 17 receptions for 216 yards. He's kind of a guy they bring in third downs like situationally, and they absolutely will use him out of the backfield. And if you, again, remember him from recruiting, that should not surprise you. He did all that kind of stuff in high school. He actually lined up and played receiver quite a bit in high school as well. But both those guys, Corman Edwards, they will line both those guys up at receiver, and they will throw them the ball from the slot position, from the receiver position. And uh, that's something that they don't really do as much with Haskins. If Haskins is catching the ball in the backfield, it's not like him lining up a receiver. He's just, you know, running screens, you know, option routes, little things like that, check downs, all that kind of stuff. But they really complement each other really, really well, like Zeus and James Cook do. But I do think that if someone made the argument that Haskins and Corman as a duo are better than Zeus and Cook as a duo, I don't think that's crazy. In fact, I would probably agree with that. Now, when you're talking about this Michigan run game, I would be remiss if I did not bring quarterback J.J. McCarthy into this equation. Now, J.J. McCarthy is not their starting quarterback. He's a former five-star recruit, hotshot guy. He's a freshman, and he is a guy that is very, very athletic and can absolutely hurt you with his legs. They bring him in situationally. They really like to bring him in in the red zone where the running game becomes much more important because obviously the field condenses, it shrinks, it's harder to fit balls in the tight windows in the passing game. So if you're in the red zone, one of the things that makes you a good red zone offense is the ability to run the football. And they understand that. They 
our football coaches, they get these things and they bring JJ McCarthy in in the red zone a lot to really kind of improve their run game, to enhance their run game. They bring him in in short yard situations. Now there'll be times where like they bring him in like in a random down and distance where it's kind of like, why? And they bring him in for like just a play and then here comes Kay McNamara, their normal starter, right back out. And it's like, okay, that's strange. I don't know, maybe you're setting something up, but really use him situationally. They use him well situationally. When they're trying to salt games away, they used him against Michigan State in that game, late in that game in the fourth quarter. And he put the ball on the ground twice. One of them was a fumble that was not recovered by Michigan State. He was running down the field, and he was he changed hands. He had the ball in his inside hand, and he was running to his left, so he wanted to change to his outside hand, which is what smart. It's what you should do. But as he was running, a guy comes tries to tackle him. The guy didn't hit the ball, but he kind of like the ball kind of hit his knee and it popped out, and he put the ball on the ground. Fortunately for them, Michigan State did not recover. But I think on the very next possession, or maybe two possessions later, one or two possessions later where they were literally trying to salt the game away. He was in he was in the game. They had the lead. They were just trying to run the clock and salt the game away. And he fumbled the mesh. He messed up the mesh point, the handoff. And Michigan State did recover that. And that's, I mean, that was a critical part of why Michigan State was able to ultimately come back and win that football game. But they they use him very well. They use him situationally. They're smart in how they use him. And when he is in the game, you must be aware of J.J. McCarthy. Their run game also changes. They run some different plays. Obviously, they'll do some zone reset. They'll do some bash stuff with him, back away stuff. But he is a threat to run the football. Now, he only has 23 rushes for 100 yards in the year. But he is a guy that absolutely can make plays. And he will throw it too. He has not thrown it a ton on the year. If you look at his, his numbers, he only has what is it? I think 42 attempts on the year, but they absolutely will run some play action stuff on him. Because like when he comes in, what do you think? You think, okay, they're going to run the football, right? That's why this guy's in here. And they will take advantage of that at key points. So when he's in the game, yes, he's likely in the game to run the football or to, even if he's not running the football, the threat of him running the football enhances their overall run game. That's one of the reasons, you know, Kirby's always talked about like, hey, why is Stetson Bennett playing? Well, mobility. So, you know, theoretically, Stetson helps our run game because of his ability to at least kind of somewhat hurt you with his legs. Now, J.J. McCarthy is another level type athlete above Stetson Bennett. He's he's a much more, he's much more of a threat, much more of a danger with the ball in his hands than Stetson is. Like he's a guy that can absolutely make you pay. He can take the ball the distance if you're not paying attention to him. But they will absolutely throw some play action off of that with J.J. McCarthy when they catch you sleeping. You just got to be aware of that. You got to be smart. Yes, you got to know that he's coming in likely to run the football, but in the back of your mind, you got to know they will go play action off that stuff. Speaking of the Michigan State game, he actually had a big touchdown pass in the Michigan State game off of play action. It was a really well-thrown ball and um, put up six on the on the scoreboard. So you've got to be aware of his ability to, to not only hurt you his legs, but also his ability to hurt you in the pass game off of play action. Now, let, let's go to their actual starter at quarterback. Now, here's another similarity between these two teams. Both teams have a game manager at quarterback who is effective off play action and also athletic enough to extend plays. I think we can say that about Stetson Bennett, and I think you can say that about Kay McNamara. And guys, their numbers, McNamara and Stetson, their numbers are remarkably similar as well. They are both completing 64% of their passes on the season. McNamara's thrown for 2,470 yards. Stetson's thrown for 2325. And all Stetson wasn't a starter for every game this year, whereas McNamara has been. Uh, Stetson is biting off more chunks of yards in the past game. He's averaging 10.1 yards per attempt. McNamara's only averaging eight. Uh, 15 touchdowns to four picks for McNamara, 24 touchdowns to seven picks for Stetson. So they're just very similar in 
what they bring to the table. I do think Stetson's a little bit more athletic than McNamara, but not by leaps and bounds. And they both do a really good job of knowing where to go with the football. They're fairly accurate, but both of them at times can be a wreck and can miss some open guys. And not just necessarily miss them, but put the ball in a spot that makes it a tougher catch for the receiver to make. But make no mistake about it. We all know that Stetson Bennett is really a game manager at heart. Like that's that's what Stetson is. Former walk-on, we know that. Kay McNamara actually was a guy that came in off the bench about halfway through last year. Because remember, it's Joe Milton who was getting the guy at Tennessee who transferred out of Michigan. It was Joe Milton who started the year last year for Michigan. He was not good. They brought in McNamara. McNamara showed some toughness. He showed some grit, kind of like Stetson does, right? And parlayed that into the full-time starter job going into this 2021 football season. But neither guy is equipped to beat you with his arm in the drop back pass game. It goes back to what I was saying earlier, the similarity that both these offenses are built around the run game. It all starts the run game. They want to, We want to establish a run game, work play action off that, hit chunk plays through the, through the air off play action. They want to do the exact same thing. Now, we have hit more chunk plays. We've been more explosive offensively through the air than Michigan has, but how we go about structuring our offense is very similar. We want to establish a run, a physical downhill rushing attack with a mobile-ish quarterback and then work the play action pass game off of that. That's how both these offenses are built. Now, here's another similarity. Let's talk about the tight ends. We know that Brock Bowers is the best weapon on our offense. Like We, we know that. Brock Bowers, for my money, is the best tight end in America. If not, he's certainly up there. He was certainly deserving of being a finalist for the Mackey Award. I still think it's ridiculous that he was not, but whatever. We're past that. He is the best weapon on our offense, and he has been really from game one. We saw that in week one. We were targeting him right out the gate as a true freshman. And Brock has certainly put up better numbers than their top tight end, who's a guy named Eric All. Brock's got, what, 47 catches for 791 yards, 11 touchdowns on the season. All doesn't have those kind of numbers. If you look at his numbers, he's got, I think, 34 catches on the year, 374 yards, and only two touchdowns. So they he doesn't have the usage rate that Brock Bowers does, but you can see as the season progressed, they want to get him more and more and more involved in the offense. He had 10 catches for just a hair under 100 yards against Michigan State. Had the game-winning touchdown reception against Penn State. It was a 47-yard catch-and-run play where he just he just left everyone in the dust, kind of like we've seen Brock Bowers do. And he had another touchdown catch in the Big Ten Championship game against Iowa. So again, no, he doesn't have the numbers that Brock does. He hasn't been as productive. But when I watch this Michigan team play, I really believe he's their best weapon in the passing game. Now, he doesn't have the, the most receptions, most receiving yards on their team, but I think he's their best weapon in the passing game, and they're starting to use him more and more and more as the season's progressed. He's also a really good inline blocker. He's certainly uh, a willing blocker like Brock Bowers. So when he's in the game, they can run the ball, they can throw the ball, because he is, like Bowers, a kind of modern day versatile tight end. So he's the guy, in my opinion, again, if you look at the stats, they're not going to tell you that, hey, this is the guy you got to watch out for. But watching this team play, especially down the stretch, I think he really is their best weapon uh, on the outside. And he's becoming more and more of a feature piece for them. Now, let's talk about the receivers here. Here's another similarity. Michigan has good players at wide receiver, just like we have good players at wide receiver. We do. But just like we haven't had that one dude all season long, it's been, at different points, it's been different guys. It's been, you know, one game against Auburn, it is Ladd McConkey. Against Tennessee, you know, late in that game, or late in the, in the second half, uh, trying to put together a touchdown drive there right before the half, it's A.D. Mitchell. Jermaine Burton's had his moments. He's had his games where he's been the guy, right? We don't 
have that one guy though. Like we have really good players at receiver, but we don't have that one George Pickens type dude. That we don't have that Jamison Williams guy. We don't have that. And Michigan does either. I guess we we technically do have George Pickens. I should correct myself there, but we haven't had him all season long. Right now we do, and we'll see how healthy he is going to the Orange Bowl. I am certainly optimistic there, but we didn't have him all season long. And you can say the same thing about Michigan. Good receivers, good players out there, but they haven't had that one guy because like us, Ronnie Bell, the guy that was their number one receiver going into the year, went down, I believe it was with a torn ACL in week one. I know George got hurt in, in the spring, so a little bit further out from the season, but the guy that was supposed to be our best receiver, the guy that was supposed to be their best receiver, they both missed basically the entire regular season. George came back, what, in the last week of the regular season? So that's another similarity here. And you, and you look at their receivers, I guess if there's one guy, who's their go-to guy receiver? Honestly, I don't really think they have a go-to guy. It's just based off what's, what the defense gives them and who gets open. But Cornelius Johnson is their leading receiver in terms of receptions and yards, 38 catches for 609 yards, three touchdowns on the year. But Cornelius Johnson, while a good receiver, yes, is not a true number one guy. He is not that dude that is going to go out there and win against one-on-one coverage on a consistent basis and go up to the top of the route and just beat you if you throw the ball anywhere near him. He's not that kind of guy. They just don't have that guy. The the next league receiver is a guy named Roman Wilson, 24 catches, 378 yards out of Hawaii, three touchdowns himself. He's more of a slot receiver while Cornelius Johnson is more of an outside guy. And then Mike Sanders still is another guy who's, who's made some plays at times for them, but he's not been dynamic. 20 catches, 295 on the year, two touchdowns. So they, they kind of spread the love around with their receivers like we do. I mean, really, if you look at their numbers at receiver and you look at ours, you see some similarities there. So you look, we've really done a great job spraying the wealth. That's by default because we don't have that number one guy. I mean, Lad's got 430 yards receiving. Burton's got 412. AD Mitchell's got 342. Uh, Kiaris has got 178, and you can kind of say the same thing when you look at Michigan. Cornelius Johnson, 609 yards receiving, uh, which has got closest to the level of Brock Bowers, and Roman Wilson, 378, Eric All, 374, Sanders still 295. And in some ways, that kind of makes them tough because, like, wow, you certainly don't want the team you're playing to have that one George Pickens s guy when they have multiple players that can hurt you, that can make plays. In, in some weird, perverted way, it does make them tough to defend because. Any of those guys can make plays, but I would also say none of them are like legit difference makers the way a guy like George Pickens is, or the way a guy like Chris Olave at Ohio State is, or the way a guy like Jamison Williams at Alabama is. They don't have a guy like that. And we haven't all year either, but I think we certainly have a better chance of having a guy like that in this game if, big if, if George Pickens can get anywhere close to being the George Pickens of all, we certainly have a better chance because he'll be back. And he has been that guy in the past. We just haven't had him all year. But Michigan just doesn't have the guy. Ronnie Bell's not coming back for the playoffs. All right, well, let's, uh, what have we missed? All right, offensive line. I should talk about this with the running backs, but offensive line, I do think their offensive line is better than ours. They're bigger, more physical. They're stronger up front, stronger at the point of attack. We've talked all year long about how I don't think we have enough size on the interior. That's not a problem for Michigan, but I, I really, when you watch them play, like I've heard a lot of people give their offensive line a lot of love over the past couple of weeks, and they're good. I'm not saying they're not deserving of that, but I still don't think it's an elite offensive line. They aren't elite at tackle they don't particularly handle speed rushes very well. Like they're big, they're strong, they're physical, but they're not the most athletic offensive line. And that's something I think that we could potentially take advantage of. I know I told you I wasn't going to talk much about matchups, but I'll give you a little matchup talk here. 
I do like how athletic our defensive front is compared to the Michigan offensive line. I do think that's something that we can take advantage of. And it's not like we don't have size there too. We do. We know that. But I think our size is more athletic than their big guys up front on their offensive line. But they're good. They're physical. They are kind of old school, throwback, nasty offensive linemen. But I don't believe that they are athletic enough to really handle a truly elite athletic defensive front like we have. We'll get into that more when we get to the actual preview episode next week. Now, before we move on to the defense, I do want to throw one more thing at you here. I've talked a lot about the similarities between these two offenses. I do want to throw one difference out there for you guys. They love trick plays. I mean, game in, game out. I'm talking like at least one or two trick plays a game. And that is not an exaggeration, guys. They love their trick plays. Josh Gaddis just won the Broyles Award for the best assistant coach, or at least voted on as the top assistant coach in the country. I think Dan Lanning might have something to say about that, but hey, whatever. He's had a really good year, done a really good job. But Josh Gaddis, uh, he's a guy that came over from Alabama and was a little bit of a learning curve the first couple years. I didn't know if he was going to be able to last and stick around, but they, they hung on with him and it's really paid dividends this year. And one of his trademarks, I'm telling you guys this year, is running trick plays. They will keep you honest with that stuff. I've seen them run flea flickers. I've seen them run halfback passes. I believe I believe it was at the Iowa game, the, the Big Ten Championship game. It was Donovan Edwards who threw a halfback pass for a touchdown in that game. So I've seen that. Flea flickers, special teams fakes, reverses. They love trick plays and they hit the trick plays too. They don't hit all of them, but they hit enough of them, guys. And they can really turn a game on a play like that. In a game where you have two teams that are so similar in a lot of ways that are built in such a similar fashion, a game like that can really turn on just a play here, a play there, a a trick play that's successful, turnovers, big plays, things like that. So you've got to be aware of that. And it's hard. You don't know what trick play they're going to run, but you have to be disciplined. You just have to be disciplined. We've done a really good job of that all year. We've had a couple teams try to run some trick plays on us. I mean, it makes sense, right? Our defense has been so dominant all year long with the exception of the Alabama game. So teams try to do whatever they can, throw the kitchen sink at us to try to hit some of those plays. We saw Tennessee try to do it. And we've been really good at defending those places. We've been a really well-disciplined football team all year long. So I hope that's not going to be an issue. But I'm just telling you, as a fan watching this game, be aware of the trick play. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, that's enough about the offense. A lot of similarities there. Let's flip this thing over and talk about the Michigan defense led by defense coordinator Mike McDonald. First year DC, Mike McDonald came in from the Baltimore Ravens. Here's a fun fact for you guys. I don't know if you guys actually know this, but 
he actually coached here in Athens. He coached at Cedar Shoals High School for, for a couple years, about 10 years ago or so. And then he got a GA job at Georgia when Todd Grantham was our defense coordinator. So it's kind of like a, a weird connection between McDonald and our program and, and just Athens in general. Uh, eventually ended up with the Baltimore Ravens as like an analyst guy and impressed, worked his way up. And John Harbaugh, obviously Jim Harbaugh's, I believe older brother, recommended him to, to Jim Harbaugh and he hired him in Michigan. And now in his first year as a defense coordinator, has done some awesome things with this Michigan defense. Has really kind of changed how the defense is structured. I will say the outset here, talking about the defense, there are not as many similarities defensively between these two teams as there are offensively. Now, the big similarity here is kind of a big picture similarity that both these teams, Georgia and Michigan, are built around like establishing a strong run game offensively, hitting play action passes off that run game, and then playing really strong defense behind that. They're both built in that way. But there are a lot of differences in how we go about playing defense and how Michigan goes about playing defense. First off, we are a base 3-14. Now, we don't really run base 3-4 ever, but technically we're a base 3-14. Michigan is a base 4-3 team, so it's a different structure off the, off the top there. So what that means is that their pass rushers are defensive ends. Like Aiden Hutchinson is a defensive end. They are not outside linebackers like Adam Anderson was or like Nolan Smith is or Robert Beal. They're not that, okay? They're similar. They're similar. There are similarities there because they're pass rushers by trade, but our outside linebackers do more in terms of dropping into coverage and are more comfortable doing that than what Michigan's pass rushers are, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. But while they are four or three defensive ends, here's something that Mike McDonald has brought to this defense from the NFL. They play standing up. They are not putting their hands in the dirt. I mean, maybe a couple times on the year, but as a rule, those defensive ends, Hutchinson and Ajabo, they play standing up. And so you, when you watch them play, you're like, oh yeah, it's, it's a 3-4 scheme, right? They're outside linebackers. No, not really. They're, they're like prototype 4-3 defensive ends. They just play them standing up. And that's been a really, really big change for them because Hutchinson has excelled doing that. It's almost as though McDonald is trying to take the best of both worlds, the 4-3 base, the 3-4 base, and kind of merge them a little bit there by having his defensive ends stand up. Because like those guys, like size-wise and just physical profile, they they fit the 4-3 defensive end mold. But he has them stand up like three, four outside linebackers. So he, he's trying to merge them there. It's been a really interesting thing for them. It's worked really, really well for them. But here's another difference between our defense and the Michigan defense. Both defenses do a really good job of creating havoc and pressuring the quarterback, but the Michigan pass rush comes almost exclusively from two guys, whereas our pass rush is really well spread out. We have a number of different guys that are contributing in, in pressuring the quarterback and creating havoc back there for the quarterback to handle, but Michigan... Not so much. It's two guys. Hutchinson has 14 sacks. Ajabo has 11. Outside those two, there's no other player on their defense that has more than two and a half sacks. If you look at our defense, it's very well spread out. Adam Anderson still leads the team with five and a half sacks. You know, he's not going to play, obviously, but he's got five and a half sacks. N'Kobe's got five. Tindall's got four and a half. Beal's got four and a half. Trayvon Walker's got four and a half, or got four. Uh, Jalen Carter's got three. Nolan's got two and a half. Devontae Wyatt's got two and a half. Jordan Davis himself's got two. We are spreading out the pass rush, and it's coming from different guys 
at different times from different angles from different positions. Not the case. With Michigan, it's literally two guys. It is their two defensive ends. It's Ojabo, it's Aiden Hutchinson. And to take that a little further, another difference there, why is it that they have two guys that account for essentially all their pass rush and we have a, a multitude of different guys? Well, they're pressure, their defense, the way they create pressure defensively is built around those two guys winning one-on-one matchups, right? That's what it's built around. They just, they just win. They just win on the outside. And it's, when you got two of them, it's really hard to double either one of them because you think, okay, well, Aiden Hutchinson, well, he's the guy, you know, he's got 14 sacks in the year. He's the Heisman Trophy candidate. He's the guy that makes a trip to New York. Well, if you double him and you leave Ojabo one-on-one, he is going to win that the vast majority of the time, especially in obvious passing situations. So they, the pressure that they create, it's it's just generated by dominating those one-on-one matchups. It's not created by simulated pressure and by scheme the way ours is. That's how we get pressure, guys. We don't necessarily just line up guys and win one-on-one all the time. Now, we have guys that can win one-on-one. What we do is we scheme it up for those guys, different guys at different times, to get one-on-one matchups. It might be Nolan on one step. It might be Nicobe. It might be Quay. It might be Channing Tindall. It might be Trevon Walker. It could be any of those guys. We just, I guess what I would say is we have more versatility in our front seven than they do. You know where the pass rush is coming from. It's coming from the edges from two guys. Our pass rush is different. We have so many guys that are so versatile that can do different things that we run so many simulated pressures that you don't know who it's going to be. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what the package is going to be. And to me personally, it makes it hard to defend because it's more of a mind game. With Michigan, it's just, it's purely physical. There's not much scheme to it. They just say, all right, we got two elite pass rushers and they're just going to whip your guys down in and down out. And that's what they do. And Aiden Hutchinson is so, so good, guys. I mean, I was frustrated that that Jordan Davis did not get more votes for the Heisman Trophy. I get it. He doesn't get the sack numbers. I understand why. I just think his impact on the game is, is, is not measured that way, but whatever. I know that people that vote in those things, they have to have something they can measure. And Aiden Hutchinson, though, I, I will say, I'm not mad that he was there. I think he deserved to be there. I think, really, to, for me, the three best players in the country were Hutchinson, Will Anderson, and Jordan Davis. That would have been my Heisman Trophy ceremony, but it was not to be, obviously. But Hutchinson deserved to be there. He's really good. He's a game wrecker. He is a difference maker. He is incredible to watch. He is so strong. He is so powerful. And he is such a high motor guy. This guy plays a hundred thousand miles an hour. He reminds me of David Pollock. I say that a lot when I'm watching Michigan games with people. Like, God, this is like their David Pollock. Now, a more athletic version of David Pollock. But the similarity is that those guys just give you every single thing they have on every single step. I mean, he just dominates people. He just absolutely treats offensive tackles, 320 pounds to tackles, like they are ragdolls, just throws them around. He is an absolute animal. And I will not lie to you, he scares me to death because I have been very open this year. I don't think our offensive line is great. I think our offensive line is good. It's been good enough. We've been solid, but we do not have a physically dominant offensive line like we've had in the past. We do not have that offensive line that's going to impose its will on teams. And I don't think we have elite tackles. I think we have good tackles. I think Jamari, if he's back healthy, gives us a, a great opportunity there to be able, I don't want to say to stop. I'm not going to stop Aiden Hutchinson, but to like at least put up some sort of fight there. But Jamari's not an elite offensive tackle. He's a good offensive tackle. He's not elite. And him one-on-one with Aiden Hutchinson, really any of our linemen one-on-one with him, that is a very scary thought for me. He is very, very good. But back to my original point, they don't generate pressure by scheme. It's just by outmanning you. We do it a little bit differently. 
And here's another difference between these two differences. I, they have great pass rushers. They really do on the edges there. They're extraordinarily strong, as strong as any team in the country on the edges of their defense, but they are not as strong in the middle of that defense. I think that we are going to be able, and we'll get to more of the matchup stuff next week, but I feel pretty good about our chance to run the football on this team, run the football enough, because they just don't have the difference makers on the interior of that defense. On the edges, yes. Christopher Hinton on the inside, you guys remember that name? Went to GAC a couple years back. He's, he's at Michigan. He's 6'4", 3'10", but he's their nose guard. All right, Jordan Davis, all right, we, we know Jordan Davis, 340, 350, right? Maybe 360 at times, so the way his weight fluctuates. Hinton is not that kind of guy. He's not that big. Mozzie Smith's a little bit bigger. He's about a 320-pounder, but he doesn't have the size athleticism combination as some of our guys do, like Jalen Carter, Devontae White. He just doesn't have that. They just don't have the difference makers in my opinion. They're good. They're good on the interior. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying they're garbage. They're just, they don't have the difference makers like we do and like, and like Michigan has on the edges. And their linebackers, they're solid. Josh Ross is their best linebacker. And, you know, he's a, he's a really good linebacker on the Big Ten champion and a team that's in the playoffs. So he gets a lot of love and people hype him up. But if you really watch a guy play, I don't think he's that good. He doesn't do a great job of taking on blocks that are right at him in his face. He moves really well sideline to sideline. I will give him that. But if you run the ball at him, he doesn't really excel with the downhill running game coming directly at him. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He had a really tough time disengaging. I just don't love their linebackers. Again, they're good. This Michigan defense is really good. So every player they have on defense is good. I just don't think they have difference makers really anywhere on the defense outside of those two edge players. And finally, I guess that brings me to a similarity. We talked a lot about the differences here between the two defenses, but here's another similarity. They're only okay in the defensive backfield. Now, Dax Hill, if, you hear, if you've heard that name, people talk about him like he is a big-time player. He was all Big Ten first team. But when I watch them play, I just don't see it. Again, good player. I'm not saying he's garbage. He's a good player. Michigan doesn't have bad players on defense. Their defense is very good. But he's nothing special. I don't see first team, like all conference guy when I watch this guy play. Now he does have some versatility and I think that in and of itself has a lot of value. He's there in their base package. When they're in their base four, three, he's their starting safety, one of their starting safeties. But when they go to a nickel package, he rolls down as their nickel back, kind of as their star defender. So he's better in coverage than your average safety. I will give him that, but he's still a safety at heart. He pretty routinely gets beat in coverage. Like it's it's nothing shocking when you see this guy get beat in coverage. He's just not great. He's, again, probably better than your average safety, but not like really all that good. At cornerback, they're they're good. They're solid, kind of like us, like good, solid. But had they really been tested at a high level? Like, yes, they beat Ohio State. Ohio State still put up a ton of yards throwing the football. And then Vincent Gray, DJ Turner, good, solid players, not shut down corners. I don't know if those guys exist in general anyway, but they certainly aren't that. But I think when you look at their numbers, it's a lot like our defense. Their numbers against the pass are good. But a big part of that, just like it is for our defense, is the havoc caused by their pass rush, by Hutchinson and Ajabo. Because like us, even though they go about doing it in a different fashion, like us, they don't really have to dial up a lot of pressure. They don't bring five or six guys rushing the passer all that often. They'll do it from time to time. But like us, they don't do it that much at all. Like by rule... They just rush four guys because they don't need to bring more than that. 
because they're just so effective at generating pressure with four. They do it just by beating guys one-on-one. We do it more with scheme, and but still, we both, the vast majority of the time, only bring four rushers. And to me, that's why their pass defense numbers are good. I think they're a little inflated, just like our pass defense numbers are inflated. We hadn't pay, played an elite passing offense. Maybe you could say Tennessee to a degree until we got to the SEC Championship game, played Alabama, and we saw how that worked out with Bryce Young setting an SEC Championship game record for passing yards in a, in a single championship game. So I think just like our numbers against the pass were a little inflated, and I don't think it was really reflective and indicative of how good we were in the secondary and like the talent level in the secondary. I think you can say the same about Michigan. Both teams have elite to borderline elite pass defense numbers, but I think that's more a function of how dominant their pass rush has been, our front seven in particular has been. But there still might be some room to hit some big plays in the passing game if you can protect the quarterback and keep those two edge rushers from dominating the game. And that's what we saw with Alabama like in the SEC Championship game. They were able to keep, for the most part, keep Bryce Young upright, keep him safe and sound back there in the pocket. And when that's the case, and we weren't able to pressure him and honestly didn't do enough to try to pressure him, our secondary is not good enough against those receivers and that caliber of a quarterback to sit back there and, and win the football game. Our secondary is just not that type of secondary. They're good, they're solid, but they're not an elite secondary. And I think you can say the same thing about Michigan. I mean, people have been saying all year long, well, Georgia hasn't faced an offense with a pulse. Georgia hasn't faced an offense that can do anything to challenge them through the air. And when they do, they're going to be in trouble. And it, I guess it kind of played out that way against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Not even kind of. It totally played out that way. But Michigan also gave up essentially 400 yards passing to Ohio State. I know the difference is obviously Michigan won that game and were able to put up 42 points on Ohio State. But let's not act like the Ohio State defense is anything close to the Alabama defense. Alabama defense is a top five defense nationally. Ohio State is not good on defense. So yeah, I know they end up winning that game and that kind of colors people's perceptions. Oh, well, you know, Michigan, when they played Ohio State, they were able to win that game. And so no one goes back and looks at the fact that C.J. Stroud still threw for essentially 400 yards in that game. I think he threw for what, 394 yards in that game. But people overlook that because again, Michigan found a way to win that game because the Ohio State defense is not good. We gave up 421 yards passing to Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Again, an SEC Championship game record by Bryce Young. And that's the storyline. That's the talking point because we did not win the game. If we would have won the game, people would have said, oh yeah, you know, Bama challenged Georgia's defense, but Georgia still found a way to win. The narrative just becomes different. But the fact is the Michigan defense has given up some passing yards in some games this year. Washington, who was one of the worst power five offenses in the country this year, Washington threw for almost 300, 293 in that game. Nebraska threw for 291. Of course, Ohio State again went for almost 400 in that game. All I'm saying is that they are very much like us in the back end. They are good. They are solid in the back end. They have some good players, but they simply don't have shutdown guys. And their numbers against the pass have benefited significantly from the pass rush that they have been able to generate. A lot like us. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. So again, this was our Scouting the Enemy episode. I just wanted to give you guys a deep dive into this Michigan Wolverine football team, the players, the philosophies, the strengths, the weaknesses, those kind of things. And then next week, Curtis and I will come back on with our official Orange Bowl preview show where we will dive more into the matchups, keys to the game, all that good stuff. And we will have our predictions on the game as well. We are going to be running a holiday mailbag episode later this week leading into Christmas weekend. So we've already got a ton of awesome questions that have been sent in. We've been trying to keep track of all those and have a running list here. But if you have any questions you would like us to address on the episode this week, 
please make sure to send us those. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. On Instagram, it's just glory UGA podcast. You can also email them to us, gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And we will do our very best to get to as many of the questions as we possibly can. So whether it's recruiting, whether it's team stuff, whatever it is that's on your mind, shoot it to us sometime this week and we will try to work in as many of those questions as we possibly can. But thank you for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. Curtis and I will be back later this week for that mailbag episode. So until then, I'm Tyler. And as always... Go dogs!